0: We interrupt your broadcast to bring you an episode from the Stephen or Else Network of Truly Epic Podcasts. Find more shows at StephenOrElse.com. Let's do it. A couple of regular fellas sit down and talk about crisis on infinite Earths. One of them knows a lot about DC. The other knows very little. That's today on Event or Else. Here it is, folks. Hit the road and lick the toad. It's time for Event or Else, the podcast where I go through most every major Marvel and DC event, one issue at a time, one episode at a time. And frankly, you need to stop giving me a hard time about it. I'm your host. My name is Steven, and we're going to do things a bit differently today. As you know, last week we finished up our second big event, DC's Crisis on Infinite Earths from 1985. But rather than just jump right into our next event, which is going to be Secret Wars 2, I wanted to spend a little time reflecting on the crisis. And since I hate to reflect alone, I've invited a certain someone along for the ride. So, ladies and gentlemen, allow me to introduce our very first guest here on Event or Else. He's known up and down the internet superhighway as one of the OGs of comic book podcasting. And he's a founding member of Comic Geek Speak. He's the almighty podfather, folks, Peter Rios.
1: I sure hope I live up to that introduction. (laughs) Nobody ever (laughs)
0: does. How you
1: doing? I'm well. I'm doing very well. Happy to be part of Event or Else. Uh, You know, you oftentimes mention... That you do this because if you didn't, someone else would. I'm that someone else. Yeah. I'm that someone else that I've always wanted to do uh, a, a huge deep dive on every single Marvel and DC event, and now I do it in my own head because you do it.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I don't know if I ever told the story, but the 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 reason I decided to do this ultimately was because I had started to read books digitally. I was getting a lot of Marvel books through Comixology Unlimited and through Hoopla. And I I can't remember where I started. I remember reading, I think I started on Immortal Hulk. That's where it all started. I started reading Immortal Hulk and it made reference to Hawkeye killing Bruce Banner with a gamma arrow. And I'm like, oh, when did that happen? And I looked and it happened, I think in I don't remember what it what had happened in Civil
1: War C- Two. Civil
0: War Two. That's right. And so I started to read Civil War Two, but then there was stuff referencing an earlier event. So I just kept going back and back and back. And finally, I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to start from Marvel Superhero Secret Wars. And then I thought this would make a fun podcast. I'll just do I'll just do both. And that's that's where we started. And I thought it would be fun to just read the events, not read any of the tie ins. Of course. Some of them like when I get into Secret Wars 2 I I read that as it was coming out. So I read most of the tie-ins back then. But when we get past I think when I get really far in I think a uh, Siege I think I stopped reading comics in the middle of No, when Fear itself started at Marvel, that's when I kind of stopped reading comics. And so at some point I'm just I'm going to be reading stuff from Marvel and DC and have no idea what's going on in either of those two universes. And I want to see if only reading the events, if that will give me all I need to know to understand, or if I'm just going to be totally confused. Either way, I think it'll be fun Yeah, podcast yeah. about stuff.
1: It's an absolutely, it's a great, it's a great venture. It's a great idea. And I, I look forward to your journey.
0: Yeah. And now you read, because the, the whole reason I brought you on, you you told me you were reading Crisis as it was coming out back in 85, right?
1: Absolutely. Uh, okay. On on the crisis show that Adam and I occasionally do in the many, many years, I think we only got done with issue six so far yeah. uh, and all the many, it's almost, it's gotta be over 10 years that we've been doing that podcast. Uh, one of our listeners coined the phrase crisis kid. Those of us who were there at the time reading the, this event as it was coming out, uh, you know, and, and I, And what and what that means. Right. Like, what does that mean as a comic book reader? What does it mean as a D.C. fan? And ever since that, I think his name was A.J. Campos. Uh, I use that term. I am a crisis kid.
0: Yeah. Yes. See, I never I didn't read crisis back in the day. I wasn't I didn't get into D.C. until after crisis. And it was only because my older brother was buying the books. I wasn't even buying comics at that point. He was he was going to the comic book store and he'd bring home his books and he would uh he had a a bedroom at the top of the stairs and every night before bed he would have books laid out on his stairs that I was allowed to read. Oh cool. And uh so I jumped in with uh I think DC was with uh Man of Steel, John Byrne's Man of Steel. That's kind of where I started.
1: Oh, see that yeah, that's not that far off
0: from No, no, it yeah. was it was pretty close after the crisis, but it wasn't until maybe it was around 2005 2006 that I actually sat down and read the crisis for the first time. And then my my son, who was a toddler at the time, he kind of uh, he noticed trade, and he just he just it just basically became his because he just could not keep his eyes. There are so many characters in that book. Yeah. He just he just could not keep his eyes off that book. There was yeah. so much going on. He couldn't read at the time, but he just loved to pour over that book. That's awesome. And yeah, so so when it comes to uh you know the big events, my first event was Secret Wars. That was my and I read that at the time that it was coming out again cuz my older brother was buying the books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um so let's just get some very general questions out of the way. What were what were some of your favorite moments from the
1: Crisis? I think for me some of my favorite moments uh usually involved characters that I was reading at DC at the time showing up in the book, but then also being worried about what's going to happen with them. Because this is all pre-internet and I wasn't really reading a lot of trade magazines or anything like that. I had no idea what was going to happen. There was only one moment that was quote unquote spoiled, a major moment, um, because of retail posters and, and you know, whatever. But finding out what was going to happen to these characters, um, and it could be a little thing, like just getting a new costume, uh, certainly a bigger thing, like are they going to survive? But then also being introduced to all the new characters, who's who was running around the same time. So uh, I was, I was, I guess my, my, sort of favorite general idea about crisis is i was learning so much about the dc universe that i didn't know i couldn't read golden age comics or silver age comics because trades weren't around um certainly not digital and i had just gotten into dc in 1982 like hardcore reading superhero comics in 1982 so i had the perfect amount of knowledge to know who who most of these characters or their relationships, to know how that all um, how all that was managed and and how they related to each other, but I wasn't so beholden to these characters and concepts that I was against change. I yeah. was all for it. I was like, "Wow, this is blowing my mind." This is like I knew I knew probably. More so than I knew reading Watchmen, I knew that Crisis was a major moment in comic.
0: Yeah. So that brings up a question then that I didn't actually write down. You, you taught you said you were introduced to new characters in the Crisis. I know Doctor Light was a new character from
1: Crisis. What what other characters were new? The entire Earth Four group: Blue Beetle, Question. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, probably some some you know d e f level heroes and villains that if i didn't see them in who's who i may have seen them for the first time in crisis because perez was was drawing everybody and wanted to draw everybody
0: did he because i i wondered that as well as i was reading this i felt like there were so many i mean i i'm not familiar with a lot of them but there were moments in the book like the 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 world war one pilot that they would show every once in a while. Like I can't balloon guy. Balloon I can remember.
1: Buster. Balloon <laughs> yeah. Balloon buster.
0: buster. And I, I wondered, did he actually put every hero and villain in that series that he was tried. out at the time?
1: He certainly tried and yeah. it wasn't scripted. You know, you can read many an article where he would say, Marv Wolfman would write, you know, give us 10 characters in this panel or on this page and Perez would give you 100, you know, because <laughs> that, that dude was crazy. That's just, that's just the level of commitment, professionalism, creativity. He came to DC because he wanted to draw the justice league and then gets a chance to draw the entire DC universe. Yeah. yeah. He, he was, uh, as you call him on the, on the episodes, the goat, the super goat. I mean, for yep. events, he basically um, invented the visual language for events for a long 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 time.
0: yeah I you know it's secret wars may be considered the first big event, but I think crisis is the one that kind of defined what an event should be absolutely um absolutely. especially with you know there were there there was some tie-in when it came to uh, secret wars mostly with how the heroes got onto the planet and then them coming out and, you know, wondering how, why did Spider-Man have this new costume? Right. You know that, but as far as tie-in books, good Lord, I, I haven't read any of the tie-in books, but I do have digitally, uh, I haven't dug into them yet. The three volumes of the, the companion books that contains all the tie-ins and and the fact that it, it takes up three different volumes that that's a lot of books that tie <laughs> in. That's kind of crazy.
1: Yeah, cause, so because Crisis has also has the same thing. There are they're not really tie-ins; they're more like lead-ups or or prologues. There's the monitor appearances throughout the DC yeah. Universe before Crisis. There's the tie-ins during Crisis, the ones that have the banners, um, and in between that, which probably most of these issues aren't in those compendiums. You have the books that. Aren't bannered, but they clearly have red skies, bad weather, you yeah. know, things like that. And then there are a few epilogue tie-ins as well that sometimes they get included and sometimes they. Don't.
0: Yeah, yeah. I don't know when I'll dig into those, but they're they're there waiting for me. Yeah. Um. So all right. So stretch your mind back to your you're reading the crisis for the first time. Who were who were the heroes that really stuck out to you? Who were the ones that were your favorites as you were reading the
1: crisis? Well, the ones who stuck out are the new ones, the ones that were created specifically for the series and who really become, as you mentioned about Pariah, the point people in the series. I wanted to know about Pariah. I wanted to know about Lady Quark, Dr. Light, the new Monitor, the Anti-Monitor, Harbinger, Alexander Luther. They, They were the ones I really followed. And beyond that, if I had to pick like a secondary tier, Flash, Barry Allen Flash, was obviously another point person because yeah. he, gets in, he gets involved in the main story quite often. Um, that was, I think, as I, as I originally read it, but mostly as I read it in the many years after, for me, the larger narrative sometimes is, is stronger. And those characters, those freshly made characters for the crisis are the ones I always follow Um, because the other, everybody else is along for the ride. The justice league along for the ride, the JSA along for the ride. Now you could say Superman of earth two has a very strong journey throughout Mm -hmm. issue one through 12, obviously because he's quote unquote the first. Yeah. Um, So he definitely has an arc um, uh, which I, which once you read, especially as I read it as a kid, Uh, Once you get to those last final chapters, you're like, man, that wow. Just what happens. Just amazing. So,
0: yeah, he was he was one of those guys that, uh, you know, when it gets to those last, especially the last issue, when he's just like, you know what? The anti-monitor just keeps getting up and I'm I'm putting him down. He was he was pretty awesome. Right. In that in that last issue.
1: And I don't think you could give I don't think Superman of Earth One could have done that. Yeah. I, I think they purposely gave it to Superman of Earth Two because one of the episodes you mentioned that he punches a saber tooth. Superman of Earth One wouldn't have punched the saber tooth, you know. The Superman yeah. of Earth Two was a little rougher because if he's based on those golden age stories, he did rough people up and Oh he, yeah. So for him to be the one to stop the big bad and do it in the manner that he did it totally makes sense.
0: That was that's what was kind of fun for me. This is probably the third time I've read the crisis, uh, but it's the first time I've read it since I had start since I've started reading all the golden age Superman stories with, with Ed for the, the Superman super show. Now we're not that far into it. I think the next book we're going to read, we're going to, well, I believe it's Action Comics 24. That's, that's as far as we are at this point into, uh, golden age Superman, but I see a lot of that in this yeah. Superman of Earth 2, and it's, it's kind of fun and yeah. it's, it's neat seeing that. So, um, Oh Boy, what was the question I was going to ask? Oh, now you haven't heard uh, the episodes for 10, 11 and 12 yet, because as the time we're recording this, those haven't been released. But one of the things I talk about in episode 12 is uh, the Superman of Earth two his his power level compared to the Superman of Earth one, because there's that moment there at the near the end when Superman of Earth one, he's ready to to take it to the Anti Monitor, and Lady Quark says, "I got your back," basically. And Superman of Earth two just one punch knocks them both unconscious, and that just that blew me away. Is
1: was he a more powerful character? I don't know if it's so much that he's a powerful character, but if you remember in issue seven, once you travel to the antimatter universe, all of the supers could be hurt because. <laughs> There's That's that right. moment, I think, with Superman of Earth 2 where he gets punched and touches his nose and says, oh, my God, I'm bleeding. Yeah. So so if you factor that in, if you factor that they're fighting the anti-monitor, they're getting bombarded. And then if you just factor in the notion of Superman of Earth 2 at that moment has nothing to live for, but he has everything to die for. So yep. he – he could absolutely do, uh, you know, channel all of that power and rage and emotion, you know, and maybe it's a moment, an element of surprise thing or whatever. They get knocked out hard enough. They get basically carried out and then yeah. he's the one that's left behind. So I think there's a lot of those factors in it.
0: OK, um, so there were a number of deaths in the yeah. crisis. Um, of course, the big ones were Barry Allen Flash and Supergirl, but. A a couple of them I had some questions about because you had uh, they they make a specific point of showing you in the final issue that Robin and Huntress of Earth Two and Cole of the Teen Titans, their bodies were never found. Yeah. And I wondered, does that mean were were they ever brought back in any kind of storyline
1: before the multiverse came back? No, I think Cole showed up, showed up. Years later, like during the Jeff Johns run, I want to say, yes. or or maybe a little bit earlier than that. But as far as as Huntress and Earth Two Dick Grayson, they they're gone. I mean, they're showing yes. up now, and they have showed up here and there. Paul Levitz I think, brought brought back uh, uh, Helena Wayne in in like sometime after the New Fifty Two. Um, there was some mystery of who this new Huntress was, and it was a Helena, but. Um, it, these specific characters—they were fated to die because they were duplicates. And um, uh, yeah, that's of all the deaths, that was one of the. Th- those are one of the sadder ones because they—they they were disintegrated. I mean, they, it wasn't yeah. even the antimatter wall. It was right. I think it was the shadow demons just overwhelmed them. If I remember correctly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So by do you think then by specifically saying. In the issue that their bodies were never found, do you think that was kind of their way to say, look, these folks are never coming back. So just forget them because we're I mean, we're not even going to show you bodies. That's that's how dead they are. That's how wiped from existence they are.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, that that's the beauty of the antimatter wall, too. As you mentioned way back in the first episode, it liter- literally is erasing people. And we always talk about that on the crisis tapes of it's such a meta, meta textual thing, you know. You can make it a scientific thing—matter versus antimatter—but it's literally a comic book thing. Someone is erasing these people from the very fabric of the DC universe. And as far as uh, uh, a Robin and Huntress of Earth Two, yeah, that's what you got to do. You got to—that's why Green Arrow, the Earth Two Green Arrow, died in issue twelve. Yeah, um, because they just could not allow any more – they did not want to allow any more duplicates. So of all of the deaths, you could, you could kind of make the argument, and certainly some writers um, did this, that someone like Supergirl, someone like Barry Allen Flash, there are ways to bring them back. Um, uh, and there are enough fans that if they brought them back, they would be okay with it. But then there's a whole bunch of other heroes and villains that – once they were dead, DC kind of just was like, eh, we don't really yeah. need, that. you know, do we really need Cole anymore? Wolfman created her for New Teen Titans specifically for her to die. That's what I was
0: going to ask you about. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I heard a, a podcast a, a couple of weeks back say that uh, as a theory that he knew he was going to have to kill off somebody from the Titans. And rather than kill off an existing character, he just created one to right, be killed right. off later. Okay, Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, he did kill Dove. Yeah. Was a, a an a, I mean they were their own heroes, but then they did join Titans West. Um, so he did kill. That was another Titan that died. Um, but but the ones that he had his hand in, right? Yeah, he he's he said if I have to ask all of these other editors to give me victims, quote unquote, on for yeah. my death list, then I better make sure I have one as. well.
0: Yeah. So speaking of Hawk and Dove, Ooh, um, I'm
1: sorry, I also forgot Aqua girl. She was also yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, that's a, it's a pretty big list. It's pretty crazy. And a lot of them stayed. I mean, good Lord, how long did Barry Allen stay dead before they brought him back? 30 right. years, right. something like that. Yeah. So with Hawk and Dove, that's that's something I was also curious about. They they killed off Dove, but we had a Hawk and Dove post-crisis, right? Mm-hmm. Was Am I re- remembering correctly that Dove was a woman post-crisis? Yep. Okay. Yes. Yeah,
1: he was a new character. yeah i I don't have a lot i don't
0: i don't know that i've ever read any hawk and dove i don't have a lot of history with those characters
1: it was an okay series um that's where rob Liefeld cut his teeth right yeah yeah he did uh it was an okay series it's an okay concept um they managed to mine hawk and dove for quite a while uh and then i think we saw dove again during during blackest night yeah, uh, he does make an appearance back again, but he right. was one of those that has stayed dead for a long time.
0: All right. OK, so in issue 12, a lot of my questions seem to come from the the issue 12, the way it was <laughs> wrapped up. Um, they kind of make a point to show us um, in the, the 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 final arc, almost the epilogue kind of, of of the issue to show us the what the status quo of the new DC is moving forward. And they show us a couple of quick things. Um, For example, they show us that Jonah Hex uh, has now been placed in the future. And I know that they had a a book uh, with that concept, so I felt like that that moment was their kind of kind of spinoff. It's like here here's something to look forward to. Here's a here's Jonah Hex in the future. But they mentioned uh, another character that I don't have any history about, and that's Mm Commandy. And coming out of crisis. The Great Disaster Never Happened, but this boy, something having to do with Command D. What, what's that all about? Was that it was that its own book? Did that storyline show up somewhere? What tell me about that?
1: So Command D is a Jack Kirby creation and was created during the 70s, shortly after all of his new gods stuff. And it was the one title, I want to say it's the one title. Uh, when Kirby came over to DC that number one lasted the longest and I think he he lasted the longest on that title as opposed to the other titles um, He didn't do the entire run, but I, I if I'm remembering right he did a, a, a Chunky uh, a big amount of those of those comics. It was all based on sort of like a a Restructured idea that he had for Planet of the Apes and uh Commandy is just a human boy during the what's called the Great Disaster, which at the time probably I don't know, I I haven't read all the issues and my memory is not super perfect on this, but you you get the idea that it happened after a war. Probably war yeah. world war three at the time. Yeah. Um because you know, in the Great Disaster, uh someone had found Superman's costume and his cape, you yeah. know. So there was an idea that the age of heroes had had existed. So as a young boy, he was found in a bunker called Command D, and that's why he's named Command. Oh, okay. 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 But what's happening here is that whoever initially found him, which I can't remember, because he's also tied into OMAC, One Man Army Corps. Um, okay. The, the guy who is OMAC is Command D's grandfather, and I can't remember if. He's the one who found him or not. That I don't remember. So what the crisis decides to do and what this sequence is really trying to do, it's trying to lay out an established future for the DC universe. They were no longer going to have the great disaster. Jonah Hex, uh, was the the Hex title, the one that takes place in the future, was already a couple issues in by the time the crisis ended. So they wanted to say this is the new future going forward, Not, not the great disaster. But Hex's future, and then eventually down the road, um. of superheroes. So what they did was, since they couldn't have a great disaster, the boy who uh, used to be commandy, he is found by this general, General Horatio Tomorrow. He's given a new name, Thomas, and now he becomes an already established D.C. sci-fi character named Tommy tomorrow. Okay. So they managed, and, and Tommy Tomorrow was part of the Planeteers during DC's sci fi era. You know, Adam Strange, Captain Comet, Tommy Tomorrow, the Star Rovers, et cetera, et cetera. So they basically just took two DC concepts, <laughs> peanut butter and, and, you know, chocolate, and put it together. If we can't have Commandy, we still want maybe those stories, or we want to know that that character could have been around. We're just going to make him a, a new character. Okay. That concept, though, I don't think sticks oh, uh, for yeah. love. Yeah.
0: Now, is it your uh, recollection that a lot of what they did, because the the whole point of the crisis, of course, was um, Marv Wolfman felt that uh, readers were confused by the multiverse. He was getting letters from kids that didn't yeah. quite understand why there were two supermen and and didn't make a lot of sense. So they came up with the crisis to eliminate the multiverse, make the one universe. Do you feel do you remember at the time? Was there a lot of grumbling about that? D- do, you, do you? Did you talk to readers back then that were upset that they were getting rid of the multiverse?
1: I'm sure that um, there were more established comic book readers. That had been around, you know, maybe since the 60s and 70s that were like, okay, what is going on? Why? All you have to do is read some of the letter columns uh, in Crisis, and you would probably hear some gripes, you know, here and there. And there were definitely creators, certain editors who didn't want to play along with the Crisis. Um, If you ever get the absolute crisis, uh, or, and you hear, you read some of those backstories, that's where you get like a lot of backstories of Wolfman saying there were some editors that just sat there at meetings and just pouted because yeah. they were like, how dare you interrupt what I want to do, blah, 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 blah. Roy Thomas wasn't particularly fond, um, because he, as he puts it, he was promised some things about the crisis that didn't necessarily pan out, you know, cause they were doing away with all of his concepts basically. Yeah. Um, and then he had to work around all of that. In terms of fans, readers, I don't necessarily remember anybody in my own circle because we were, like I said, we were still young. Let's see, 1985. Um, uh, let's see. Well, it, so the first issue came out in January of 1985, which yeah. means I was 12. Okay. So that is the perfect age for... You know to blow a young comic book readers mind oh yeah with with this kind of thing so um, me and my friends those of us who were reading DC Comics I don't think we I don't know if we knew anybody who was really hardcore against it certainly in hindsight there are people who I might have read in letter columns shortly after it you know where they say things like you know there there goes all my favorite characters my favorite concepts I wasn't confused so why is DC doing this? You know, which yeah, are all valid right. points, I guess. But um, no, I don't remember the. I it, as you said, it 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 was the benchmark of events. It is the benchmark of events, and um, it was so different from Secret Wars that it was reading Revelations for a, a a publishing line. And who did that? Nobody did that at the time. Yeah. So even for those people who said they probably. Didn't like it. I bet you they were reading it.
0: Oh, yeah. That's that's how it is with comic book readers, right? The only way they know to yeah. complain is if they're reading it. So right. but imagine imagine then if the Internet was a thing back then, if social oh, media the way it is now was a thing back then, I have to assume that it would be blasted. People would be complaining all over the place about this because I I feel like Infinite Crisis. That was probably one of the first real kind of big events that I felt like I was, I, I was coming into brand new. Right. Uh, though I'd been reading some DC, um, previously cause I read millennium and legends. Uh, but I feel my memory of the time was that on the internet, people just did not do, they were very upset with infinite crisis and a lot of complaining. And yet when I hear people talk about it nowadays, I hear it just praised and talked about how how great it was. And I I enjoyed it. I remember really liking it.
1: I think it's because, you know, Infinite Crisis and Civil War were the two first events um, that the Internet could really participate in. I know that's going to sound weird because it was in the middle 2000s, but it was because um, certainly podcasting was so was was a big factor so that you could hear people talk about these events and also message boards really blew up blogging really blew up in the 2000s. Yep. It wasn't just news groups it wasn't just chat rooms yeah. it was hardcore you know the comic book blogging uh, sphere of the early 2000s and I do absolutely think that podcasting really helped to reignite Fandom in many ways. Yep. Um, DC was having a huge amount of a success at the time creatively and, and monetarily and idea wise. And yeah, I think you're right. The, while there were extreme reactions to infinite crisis and civil war, the discussion, I can remember those two events having so much discussion. Um, So I think, yeah, I think uh, you're right. In hindsight, those two events were, will always have a, a place in people's minds because maybe they were the first event for a lot, for a whole new generation of readers. Yep. Certainly an event that everybody could share in the moment. You could go back and listen to podcasts about them like a time capsule. So I think you're spot yeah. on about that.
0: Okay. So um, do you think DC accomplished their mission at the time to make, uh, the DC Universe more reader friendly following the crisis. I
1: think it. I, I think there's. I think you answer it both ways. Yes, because okay, I was already a DC fan, but I became more of a DC fan. Yeah. I think yes, because a lot of people came over to DC at that time, mostly probably because of John Byrne doing Superman. Yep. Everybody was excited about Perez and company on Wonder Woman. Yeah suddenly Batman was getting revolutionized and yep. it seemed to keep happening across the board that, that uh, instead of starting new number one issues across the board uh, when they did start like Wally West's flash suicide squad, which I guess more came out of legends, but um, it gave an opportunity, blue beetle booster gold, mm-hmm. it captain Adam, it, it, the opportunity was there to get in on the ground floor so for clarity's sake that's amazing that's yeah. great cuz you can you know the trick of it is and this is what longer re- long-time readers probably experienced the question was okay well then now what what is still in continuity right and what isn't that yep. that's really the confusion and that's why not starting everything over at one again or not doing a new 52 format in 1986 probably hurt them. Plus, you had yeah. those grumpy editors and creators who were like, "I don't care. I'm gonna I'm gonna do it my way anyway. You know, I'm gonna bring this character back, or I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna ignore the crisis happened." And yep. Wolfman couldn't. He's he, he's not in charge of that. You know. Right.
0: Yeah, and you know it's. It's one of the challenging things that I came across a couple of years back when I kind of decided, you know what, I want to start reading DC Comics post-crisis. Where where do I start? And there's not really, one would think, all right, well, the month after issue 12 hit, that's when the post-crisis DC universe starts. But that's that's not true. There's not really a one point in time, one month, one week that you can go to and go, all right, start reading comics here. It's all post-crisis. Because there were still some, it it was, it's a very muddy period when it comes to continuity, I feel, but I think in general, um, I think it was a a better place for new readers, especially new readers coming in. Um, I know that again, that's, that's the whole reason I got into the DC is because my, my brother started buying them and I feel like he started buying them primarily for John Byrne because he had been reading the fantastic four and the X-Men and, Mm-hmm. alpha flight and all that junk. And so he he wanted to get that. But uh, then I look at the DC comics of today and it's funny because when it comes to reading new books from the, the big two, I've always been a Marvel zombie. But when I look at new books from DC and I look at new books from Marvel, I'm way more into the DC books. The Marvel huh. books, for some reason, they just confuse me. I don't know. It doesn't feel like Marvel comics anymore. Huh. DC still feels like DC. I, I I don't know how to how to explain it. I feel like the Marvel Cinematic Universe did something to the comic book universe that makes it a little a little different, and it's it's kind of hard for me to get back into. Whereas DC, I just seem to be able to just jump back in. However, having said that, not only is the multiverse back, now we have a multi multiverses, and I just. I think the the d c comics continuity today is way more confusing than it was before the crisis even started, right, and I find that kind of funny. How long do you think it was I, I think a character's like Hawkman, for example. How long do you think yeah. it was after crisis ended before it started to get confusing again?
1: Yeah, you had several properties that uh will forever be um victims of crisis Hawkman is one Donna Troy is another Legion of superheroes is another yeah. anybody that um, was affected by a lot of those continuity changes and it was it, it didn't take long because uh, you know to 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 focus on Hawkman Tim Truman does that amazing three issue Hawk world series that reignites his the Hawk man's hawk man's origin it's called hawk world it gives new backstory it plays within existing stories it just expands upon the origin it is beautiful it is it is um it's sad it's um it's it's just really great it's a great three issue series if you've never read it the problem is because it was so popular and because they found a way to you know, this is post Dark Knight, where if you were put in a prestige format book, Green Arrow, The Longbow Hunters, Black Hawk, Blood and Iron, Hawk World, even Adam Strange, The Fall of Adam Strange had a miniseries as well that was in prestige format that kind of they they, they used it as opportunities to really dig in deep. It's, it was kind of like the Black black Label line before Black Label even existed. Yeah. Um. So they took the success of Hawk world and said, all right, we're going to make a Hawk world series. The problem is they made it that the Hawk, both Hawkman and Hawk girl or Hawk woman were arriving on earth for the first time. Yeah. What the heck happens to all the Hawk people that were in the justice society and the JLA right. that just had a series during the crisis. So a simple fix would have been if they just would have said on um, on issue one, after the three-issue Hawkworld series, you open up that first new series, and they would have just said ten years later, and it was here yeah. present time, you know, yeah. because then you can you can just say, oh, all that happened within the ten years. We're just starting from a quote-unquote new place in their life post-crisis. So some of it was because they wanted to distance themselves from from pre-crisis trappings and but then they wound up in a whole other trap so it didn't take long to confuse now we didn't get back a multiverse it wasn't like we got back multiverses or anything like that right but you know john byrne brings brings back supergirl but she's not really supergirl she's this (laughs) protoplasmic being you know
2: yeah
1: um Wolfman and Perez have to figure out what to do with Donna Troy. Paul Levitz and Greg LaRoque have to figure out what to do with the inspiration for Legion of Superheroes because Superboy never existed, you know? Yeah. Um, it wasn't so much that, uh, I don't know if it was necessarily confusion. It was more, again, what matters and what doesn't matter, what counts and what doesn't count. And some new properties could roll on and it didn't matter. And other new things, there were some questions that were being, that were popping up. I, I don't quite remember, I, it's been a while since I dug deep into the reasons why they wanted to do zero hour, which was technically like the next continuity fix. Um, but I have to imagine that some trade has an introduction as to why that, you know, or back issue, you know, like I said, it's been a while since I've read that. Um, that would probably give you a really good answer as to the years between crisis and zero hour what was going on part of it was hawkman like i said um part of it was also aging like green lantern was suddenly older green arrow was certainly older but other cat like how do you fit all these you know characters within the timeline how do you all make sense how does it all make sense um we it brought back the justice society of america america because they were off the plate dc was like nope can't do anything with them um but you sort of question, well, why not? They just take place in World War II now. It doesn't matter if it's Earth 1 or Earth 2. They are a World War II concept. So why are you – the only reason they really wanted to get rid of them is they just kind of wanted to shelve them a bit because they are the past. Yeah. So plus I think the other factor is a lot of readers were finally saying, okay, it's been enough time. We need some of these concepts back again. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I was – um I've been trying to, uh, prepare for, uh, I'm thinking about launching (laughs) another podcast for some reason. (laughs) Um, but I, having to do with post-crisis Superman basically. And, uh, I don't know if you've ever gone over to the, to the burn Robotics site and read through his FAQ, but he does talk about starting, you know, the man of steel and, um, Eliminating Superboy and what that meant for the Legion. And and according to him, his side of the story is that he asked them at one point, So what are we going to do about the Legion? Because if we're not going to have Superboy, then you can't have a Legion of Superheroes. And and he he claims the editors basically were like, Ah, we don't have to worry about that. And then right. not long before issue one of Man of Steel launched, one of these editors called him up and said, Oh my God, what are we going to do about the Legion? <laughs> and he said, well, I, I we I thought we talked about that. I told you guys about that. So they had to come up with some way to figure out, you know, why did the, you know, I, what was it that they were just inspired by Superman, hearing Superman stories from the past or?
1: They were in- initially inspired by Superboy pre-crisis yeah. and then post-crisis, it's, you know, it becomes yeah. a whole thing. Yeah. I mean, I think I think the simple fix would have just been at the time you just get inspired by Superman, you know? Yeah. Um, but you know, it became this whole, whole other thing. You, yeah. It's, it's, I always tend to take Burns words lightly because, right. you know, he's a, he's a great fabricator of, <laughs> of, um, or he's a great fable maker and yeah. he loves to tell fables. And sometimes you're like, is this real? Is this right? Yeah. You know, there's a lot of, because there's a lot of other things that, sort of contradicts whatever so um but whatever it 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 it, it is what it is so that uh, that's a a, that'll be a fun journey for you
0: did you guys have john Byrne on comic geek speak at one point no no have have
1: you ever met him no but i've heard him talk a lot
0: yeah i met him once he was uh back in the 90s i think it was not long after namor came out I was working at a comic book store and, and he, we were going to have a table at, uh, I guess, what became Planet Comic Con mm. in Kansas City. that They weren't calling it that at the time, but John Byrne was going to be there. So I filled up a short box of John Byrne comics and I remember getting in line when I had my first break. And I think there was a sign up that, that said that you could only have 25 books signed at one time which is pretty amazing, you know, 25 books. And so I went up there with 25 books and I, I said, uh, can you, you know, make them out to me. And I, I I gave him my name and he was very friendly. And then an hour later when I came back, I got so many books signed by him and he was, he was very polite and fun. And, and every, you know, after I think the third time I got up to his table, he remembered me and, and, uh, but then yet I hear stories about him at conventions that, he's just so rude to people. And so he just must be one of those guys that if you catch him in the right mood, you know, he's either going to be just a wonderful man or just
1: a a hateful, spiteful jerk, you know? (laughs) Yeah. There's a ton of burn stories out there.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. All right. um, Let me ask this real quick. I have, I have really kind of two big questions left. Um, Okay. There were some moments near the end of crisis that I'm wondering if, if I read these tie-in issues if I'm going to get more of the story. Uh so for example, I know that I think it's issue 9 where uh Nightwing and Starfire and Jericho get on that spaceship and then they they leave the crisis. And we got a little editors note that says go to Teen Titans. So I know I can I can find out what happened with them and I I know I can what that you know, there was an editor's note when Guy Gardner showed up, and then he goes off to do what he's going to do, and read Green Lantern to find out what's going on with him. But there were a couple moments, like um in issue eleven, there was a detectives' convention that had like Harvey Bullock and just all kinds of every DC detective, and they stumble across the murder of a character named Angleman, who I had literally only heard just weeks before i read this if even that because they there's a there's an issue of uh that world's finest that mark wade's doing where somebody has the angle man's triangle or whatever right. it is and right. then i'm reading crisis and here it is in crisis and so that goes nowhere I, I i'm assuming it picks up somewhere else and then there's the the moment i think it's also in issue 11 with amethyst mm-hmm. where all these villagers attack her and she goes blind and and uh to, who is it the, the demon and phantom stranger come to dr. her rescue and dr fate dr fate okay yeah are these storylines that i'm gonna be able to pick up on somewhere else in in dc
1: yes they they you know at some point in the crisis um the they start to do that whole thing about uh okay here are the t- here are tie-ins or or basically they're, they're promoting their,
2: their yeah. line
1: some people seem to think that that was something that was going on since issue 1 of crisis and it act- actually is not they, yeah it i don't takes-
0: it, i don't feel like i saw any of that until mm-hmm. the last quarter of of the, yep. of, the of the series yeah. yeah
1: because so so the first issue came out in january 1985 it ran from the entire year of right. 1985 but the story itself takes place in July of 1985, like as it says in the first issue. yeah, um, And that was because they wanted to set it a few months later than where the actual publishing line was. To give them time to, you know, catch up and say, yep. okay, you have four or five months until you have to start reflecting in your books. So, that was smart. So, then that meant it probably took another two, three months before they can work backwards and go, okay, what are you doing in your book? here's what we can do. We can throw a nod into crisis. Um, that was something that when I talked about editors, Wolfman was like, hey, we're doing this thing. Let me know what you think you could do with your characters and we'll put them in the book. And then you can spin off into, into whatever story you wanted to tell. He was writing Titans at the time. It's a no brainer. He can do whatever he wants. Yeah. That particular story has nothing to do with the crisis once they leave. Um, the Amethyst thing does have to do with the crisis, but it more has to do with how do we bring this sword and sorcery character who was already established within the DC universe? How do we make her more part of the DC universe? So that spins off into her bannered issues, uh, at the end of her second series. And then what was the middle one you said? Uh, The
0: the detectives convention.
1: (laughs) that is that was completely just for the series that doesn't spin off anywhere um what right. i love about it is in in the earlier issues of crisis as you mentioned you have all the war heroes that get to have a scene together yep. and that but that wasn't un, unheard of right you could go back and read war comics and you know those characters sometimes crossed over but then you had a a, a part of crisis around issue 3 where all the western characters meet up together Yep. Come on, that's awesome, right? Like yeah. you get to see all their West. They probably didn't actually exist all in the same years, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. That's what the crisis yep. is, right? So I think that's another nod to the detective thing. Here's Harvey Bullock. Here's Joni Thunder. Here's, was Roy Raymond part of it? And I, I forget, maybe Christopher Chant. I forget who all was in it. Um, the mystery, we think, um, if I'm remembering it right, the person who who was the killer for angle man, you could say that it's really a nod to um, the shadow Demon because okay. that, that particular scene takes place after all the earths yes. merge into one. Yep. So in everybody's mindset, the anti-monitor, we don't know where he is and we don't know what happened to the shadow demons. So I think that was meant to show, um, that they're still around. Some people also say that it has something to do with like the big villain war. Um, I'd have to look that up. I don't know. I forget the particulars of it, but my my gut feeling was that, you know, people were still dying because the shadow demons were still around. So, or some people also said, and this one I actually like is that his angle angler device, he could go to different dimensions, but Uh technically there aren't other dimension so he probably tried it and was like there was a feedback and he blew up so that could be another explanation
0: yeah yeah i, I felt i i felt it was odd first of all that i'd never never heard of this character of angle man and he pops up in a brand new issue of world's finest yeah. and then i happen to read them him mentioned in this in crisis i thought that was kind of fun yeah um but it was it was kind of a weird scene the 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 scene with all the war heroes and the scene with all the Western heroes, that all made sense because it had to do with the towers and, you know, that all made sense. But this one just came out. of It felt like it came out of left field. Kind of. There's also another one. I I don't know if it's in the same issue or not, but we get we we get a few panels in Gorilla City. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if Detective Chimp is normally somebody who hangs out at Gorilla City or if they just thought, all right, let's get some, because there was also a guy there called Sam Simeon. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I, I mentioned it in the episode when we get to that, when when that episode comes up, but part of me felt like, I don't know if characters like Detective Chimp or Sam Simeon just hang out in Gorilla City or did they just put them there because they're apes, you right. know? Right. So exactly. th- those are both kind of weird, but even that one still made a little bit more sense. It didn't feel like it came out of left field because you get an update on King Solivar who was right. injured like way back in issue two or three or something. Right. So, yeah, but I think I, the, the most fun I had with this series, there was a couple, there was a few moments where just coming across characters I'd never heard of or seen before. And well, we'll use the character of Mento, for example, because I asked you who he was. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, like I said, I've read this three times and I don't remember seeing the guy the first two times. And I, I've just within the last couple of days, I realized why he stood out to me. And that's uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Aquabats. Yeah, they were a they're, they're a band from California who dresses up in costume and they, you know, like like they're, a, they're like they're a kid's show. And they had their own show on TV called the the Aquabat Super Show, which uh-huh. you can find on YouTube. They're wonderful. I love them. Uh, but like their first episode features a villain named Man-Ant, who is a man-sized half-man, half-ant guy. <laughs> and his minions wear like black and purple costume type things. And they wear motorcycle helmets with antenna on them. And that's what... Mento looks like he's wearing a motorcycle helmet with antenna. And I was really kind of disappointed when I, when I went out to try to find where can I read more about this guy. And everything I found, he was in a completely different costume. I don't know yeah, how yeah. – do you have any idea how long he was in that costume? Not long.
1: I think yeah. it might have been his, his – poss- was it his first costume? I don't remember now. Um, and he's drawn in that costume occasionally. Once he gets yeah. into – new Teen Titans with Wolfman and Perez. They, they, they sort of redesign his costume. I believe, uh, it's, it's not long. It's not long.
0: He, I just found his look to be wonderfully ridiculous. Yeah. It, it looked very, it, it looked really homemade. You know, I could totally see that character showing up on like a, a, a one of these shows nowadays, like Peacemaker or something with, just a spandex suit with some shorts and a, and a motorcycle helmet that he's glued antenna on. Right. I just found him very fun. But the one, the one character really stood out to me. And I think it was issue number 12. I think he's in one panel and then he dies. The bug eyed bandit. Bug eyed. <laughs> does he ever come back?
1: Oh, I don't know. Um, I'm not sure if he does. I mean, uh, Perez was definitely one of the, motivators behind killing off what he considered to be silly characters.
2: Yeah.
1: You know? And uh, uh, there's another character named the Ten-Eyed Man <laughs> who he was <laughs> like, come on, we need yeah. to kill him. In fact, I think he's in the same sequence where Robin and Huntress die. Um, and he's like, I'm, I'm going to kill him off. So apparently the Bug-Eyed Bandit, uh, there was a son of the Bug-Eyed Bandit. Okay. Uh, that showed up in Adventures of Superman six oh eight from two thousand two. Oh. So and then there was a bug-eyed bandit, maybe the same one within Villains United during Infinite Crisis. So he has made quite huh. a okay, you know, a secondary I, appearance.
0: <laughs> when I when I ran across him, you know, because I was I, I read that issue and then I go to make a list of everybody that died in that issue because I wanted to talk about it on that on that episode and I see this character. Uh, you know, this I find a list and I see this character named the Bug-eyed Bandit, and I was I just shook. What is that? And I so I go back and I look at the issue, and it's literally one panel, him and I think it's Clayface right. die right. in the same panel, and it's the only real mention in that entire issue that you understand that it's not just the heroes that are fighting these shadow demons; that some villains are fighting back against them as well. Right. Uh, but I had to look them up, and you know. Found out that he was a he was a foe of the Atom, which made a lot of sense to me because he controlled little robot bugs and stuff. <laughs> and I just I found I find characters like that really interesting. And it makes me wonder when they're going to show up on, you know, some of these. I haven't really watched much of Doom Patrol, but I figure if, if, if a character like that is going to show up on one of these DC shows, it's either going to be Peacemaker or uh, the Doom
1: Patrol. Yeah. He, so a, ver, a version of the character shows up on the Brave and the Bold cartoon. And in the Arrow verse, there's a female version, uh, na- named, named Brie, Brie Larvan instead of Bertram Larvan. <laughs> so she has, that character has also shown up in the Arrow verse, not with the costume, of course, but.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I always, and, and I love the, yeah, the names. I love when they give, these heroes and villains, their their real name, their real identity, their name matches their their hero or villain right. identity. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Yeah. Johnny Storm and stuff like that. That just right, Johnny right. Blaze. You know, that's it's that's funny. Uh, who, who, Jack Russell. That's that's like a dad joke to me. Jack Russell <laughs> calling a, a werewolf character. Jack Russell just makes yeah. me laugh. <laughs> um, the last character I wanted to talk about, because I gave this guy a lot of crap. Throughout the issue, any issue that he showed up in, I gave him some crap because.
1: Can I guess? I think who it is? he's he's yeah. Go ahead. Is it Simon?
0: Yes, he is the <laughs> dumbest looking character I've ever seen. But he's treated almost was almost. Yeah, I can't say it almost with some reverence, like he was a feared, powerful character that if he showed up in a book, you were like, oh no, it's going down now. Was who? Who was? What books did he show up in? Who was his? hero or heroes that he'd go up against.
1: I think it'll, it'll all make sense. Once you find out he was created for the new Teen Titans.
0: Oh, okay. Well, yeah, that makes sense. Why he shows up a lot in the, in exactly. the series
1: then. Exactly.
0: I just, it, you know, he just looks. So ridiculous. so
1: <laughs> He's a Wolfman Perez creation. He was part of a team that Dr. Light, the original Dr. Light created to fight. Oh, uh, well to, to be, you know, crime people. Um, but then they went up against New Teen Titans. And then eventually he took over the team of the Fatal Five. They were called the Fatal Five. Um, or is it the Fearsome Five? Wait a minute. It's a Fearsome Five. I, w- I always get my fives confused. Yeah. The Fearsome Five. And he was created – I mean, he he eventually took over leadership and he has mind powers. Yeah. The, fierce, the Fearsome Five were also um, – they went up against the new Teen Titans when they crossed over with Batman and the Outsiders, which was a, a really cool two issue crossover. Okay. And they were also used much later, including Simon, when uh Judd Winnick was writing the Outsider series in the early two thousands. Yeah. Um, he's been so they've been around for a long time and he is fearsome, even though he is so ridiculous looking. Um But as as you said, you know, he's a Wolfman Paris creation. So, of course, he's in the crisis.
0: Well, and the thing is, I think I could take him just a little bit more seriously if it were not for the ponytail. (laughs) I mean, if you're going to have the top of your head removed and replaced with like a glass dome so people can see your brain, just shave all your hair off. Don't don't you're you're like one of these guys that. is bald on top, but leaves the ring of hair at the bottom. You know, what are you clinging to there? Just shave it off. Right. Because it looks ridiculous. No offense to anybody who looks that way. I call that the Lou Grant (laughs) hairstyle, but uh, yeah, he just, whenever he'd show up and he'd, he'd be like, I'm a villain and I'm going to take you down. I just, I just, I just couldn't take him seriously, but he, he did come across as a very powerful guy. Mm -hmm. And then of course you give him the name, Simon, just ooh, it's, he's a real. It's again, it's like a dad joke. It's those yeah. ridiculously awful, wonderful things at the same time.
1: Yeah, I mean, New Teen Titans was such a popular series, but you got to remember it spawned out. It, it first hit stands in 1980, so it is both a 80s book, but still has echoes of 70s, yeah, Bronze Age ridiculousness you know and that's why you get characters like Simon um yeah. you know which i think his real name is Simon um and that's why <laughs> his name yeah simon says so i
0: wonder if he likes to do drawings <laughs> that's a that's a callback for folks our age you know cuz i i i was also 12 in january and i you know like you i would have turned 13 during the crisis so right. um now i threw out a theory at one point in one of the episodes and I know you've had a thing or two to say about the anti-monitor when his look changes partway through the the series and he he puts on this new armor. And um, my theory is that the reason, because they don't really give you a reason that he changed his armor uh, or his look. But my theory is that George Perez got tired of, you know, he was already drawing so much and he... You know, you got the anti-monitor. He's got all kinds of stuff on his costume—little lines and pipes and things hanging off him. And he's like, "I got to streamline his look to make it easier for future issues." So he just gives him that slick armor. That's—that was my theory. I—I
1: I, I don't know what it is. Um, Adam and I—we—we we, we call it his whale look. I—I um, <laughs> yeah. I don't like the second costume. I—I yeah. I, I don't know. You know, you could have changed the costume and come up with something a little better. Maybe it is meant to have all that tubing because Supergirl did really almost destroy his body and he has to have some kind of containment. But he looks partly like a Michelin man and partly like a whale. And it's like kind of like, that's not he's not. It doesn't look as intimidating as his first look. Yeah. And maybe Paris wanted to just get away from, as you mentioned, looking too much like the monitor. Yeah. yeah. You know, and there's
0: I think there's a for for me there's appealing things about both of his looks and there are unappealing things about both of his looks. Um it almost feels like the the first version of the anti-monitor is like 70s anti-monitor and then the new, you know, the new armor is 80s anti-monitor. That's that's kind of the way I look at it.
1: Yeah. New Coke anti-monitor.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like when they they in Secret Wars when Doctor Doom updates his armor yeah uh, but that was primarily because that was an edict from the toy company, sure. which is right. kind of course. fun to learn stuff like that. yeah um, Final thoughts on the crisis.
1: Um, well can, like, can I throw out some things that you talked yeah. about that I think um, uh, are fun and and other some there's like one or two higher concepts. Um, here's a silly thing. Um, early on, you you were talking about pariah, you kept calling him pink hair. he has purple hair. Okay. Uh, And I'm a, I'm purple's my favorite color, so I was I was like, oh, <laughs> I, I you know it probably shows up looking like pink in some of the things. But Adam yeah. from CGS actually cosplayed as Pariah, nice in in front of Perez one time, and he has a picture of oh, him. And it was how amazing mm-hmm. was that?
0: Now Adam Murdo, uh, anybody who might not know, um, he is probably considered uh, another crisis expert. Um, In fact, when I when I teased the other day on the event or else Facebook group that I was having a crisis expert come on the show, I think it was Ian Levenstein replied with something like, uh, oh, are you going to muddle through it? And I said, no, we're going to stump a little (laughs) bit or something like that. But, uh, yeah, he wrote wasn't his uh, 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 he write a thesis on because he was remind me the 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 course he was taking in college, first of all. Wasn't it was, it a
1: pop culture? Yeah, it was like a pop culture yeah. course. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, and he wrote he, his thesis on the crisis. Yeah.
0: And is it is it published out there on the internet? Oh yeah, one yeah put You it can it out there? find yeah. it
1: online. Yep, we have links to it. Yep.
0: <laughs> I should have I should have read that before I even started this whole <laughs> series. You know,
1: he reads but, from the from the thesis every now and then on whenever we yeah. do the crisis tapes. He'll pull out a passage every now and then. Yeah. I mean, he goes really high concept into uh-huh. the the. The writing aspects of it, the revelations aspect of it, um, um, connections, metaphors, things like that—it's amazing. Yeah, it's really great. Yeah, how do you read it? I haven't even read it yet. <laughs> <laughs> I like—I like to hear it from his words. Yeah. Um, you in in the second issue of Crisis in your second episode, you talked about Anti Monitor being in shadows. Um, you know, I think you were wondering what readers who we thought the readers were or no, you said something like it's a new villain. So we don't know who he is yet. There was belief that this was not a new villain, but that it was an established villain. Yeah. And that was a lot of the mystery for those first five, six issues, because it was like, we had no idea who it was. Some people thought it was going to be dark side. Um, I don't necessarily remember. I probably didn't really think one way or the other. Because I was just so invested in the story. It didn't matter. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm not necessarily sure. I can't remember if Wolfman purposely. And Perez kept him purposely in the dark. Quote, uh, no no pun intended. Because they wanted to have. Number one. A big reveal later. They wanted to make sure that. We got through monitor stuff first. Before we got to the anti-monitor. Because really the book is divided. First of all it's divided in half. It's also divided in uh thirds every Mm. four issues and it's also divided every two issues if you really go in and sort of study like what wolfman is touching on every two issues is its own thing like for instance the villain war is only two issues the um dealing with after after they merge um Earths one and two when they have to do for X and X, S, that is two issues, you know, so everything yeah, sort of divided okay. up that way. So, yeah. So the mystery of the villain was a mystery for some readers. Um, and then probably the biggest thing that, that you talked about for a couple issues that is worth discussing is this notion of Superman, Batman and Wonder Woman not being the main. Characters, right. Right. Yeah. And that is absolutely on purpose. Wolfman did not want to use definitely didn't want to use Superman and Batman because. He wanted to showcase the larger DC universe, and he probably knew that he was going to use Superman of Earth, Two, which you could argue is um, has a higher ranking than Superman of Earth one when you're talking about the multiverse. Right. So um, that is absolutely that was purposeful Um, to your point about Wonder Woman. She was going through so many changes in her books at the time that I feel they wanted to reflect that. But the other, the bigger notion is, and this is something that I've been meaning to study for a while, the very concept of the Trinity did not exist pre-crisis.
2: Yeah,
1: right. Now, certainly Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman are very popular. Even some of the cartoons, you always had to have three of them. But the notion of them being the Trinity, the leaders of the DC universe. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, part of me thinks it's because of kingdom come more than anything that that really was a a notion. So um, yeah, it's great. It's great that we don't have them. It, you know, Hal Jordan doesn't even show up in the book at all. You know,
0: that's a good point. I didn't even think about that.
1: Yeah. It's all Jon Stewart. Yeah. And I, and I think that's why when they did infinite crisis um, and this was something that at the time of reading it, some readers it's not like they didn't agree with it but it's almost like they almost willfully what, weren't looking at it this way but infinite crisis really is a superman batman wonder woman story yeah with the DC universe in the background because it begins with them it ends with them it involves their philosophical differences you know and i think the writers of that purposely did that because they were not center at crisis on in crisis on infinite earth so yeah um yeah i I think it's one of the things that's really great about what Wolfman did because you could have easily made like an issue number one the blue Beetle scene that could have been a Batman scene yep but that's yep. not in, that's not as interesting because then yeah. i I never would have been introduced to Blue Beetle you know yeah so um so I, so I thought that was great that you noticed that and and that you took time to to talk about that because um it, it i mean it's the main point.
0: You know, Superman, of course, you know, like you said, he of the three of them, he has more to do than 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 the three of them. Uh, but that I think is only because of, like you said, Superman of Earth 2. Uh, but yeah, Batman, he just even when he was there, I mean, there there's a moment near the end where all of the all of the heroes go to fight uh the, it's before issue 11, before everything merges. They go to fight the anti-monitor. It's supposed to be the last battle. And like Batman and Robin and a couple others are just <laughs> standing off to the side. And they're like, well, what are we supposed to do? And give them more moral support. And that's right, right. why even put them there. Right. You know, I thought, right. yeah, I just found it interesting because you really don't see a if, if it's a big story in the DC universe, the Trinity is front and center. and i don't know I don't think I realized how much I appreciated that that wasn't the case in this one until maybe near the end, yeah, because yeah the, it it really did showcase a lot of characters that um i've I'd never known before, um and I love me some blue beetle love me he's he's the he's the the opposite of Batman I just mm-hmm. you know if, if Batman was a happy person, that would be the blue Beetle and right that's I think that's why I like him so much <laughs> cool. Anything else? You got any other?
1: No. I mean, just to wrap up, um, the crisis, I mean, if you're going to read it, um, maybe it's good to have, you know, uh, the internet nearby in case you have questions for anybody who's, I think your approach to it, especially the ones I know you, you no longer do the the video aspect of it, but that certainly helps from a visual aspect. Um, and you're real concise about the synopsis, um, there's a lot of reference material online. It should never be your first comic. I don't, I that right. would just, yeah. It's like when people say, Oh, you want to read comics? Go read Watchmen. It's like, no, no, no no, yeah. no, 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 no. Don't read Watchmen. Don't read crisis. Um, uh, it was a moment in time. It has been, it has been duplicated. It has been copied. It has been emulated. It has been, you know, whatever. I think the only other event that comes close to it and actually might beat it in terms of everything was Blackest Night for me. Yeah. Um, because Blackest Night also, what it did, what it did that Crisis didn't do, Blackest Night also targeted merchandising and it really yeah. brought fandom in. It, it was almost like they took what Secret Wars wanted to do and made it better, you know, because I remember the whole ring promotion thing that people were going nuts for. And in terms of a publisher goal, you want people to spend money during your events. Black as Night made people spend a lot of yeah. money, just a ton. Yep. And over on Marvel side, you know, I don't think they really had a big altering event until Civil War. Some yeah. people some people say in, Infinity Gauntlet but that's just because Perez drew the first couple issues, you know. Yeah. It didn't really affect the larger Marvel Universe as a whole no. if you were reading it at the time, but Civil yes. War fundamentally changed oh, yeah. the Marvel Universe not only as a concept but as in publishing and did everything all the way even to influencing the movies. So, Yep. um those those two later events for me are are come closest to what crisis's goal was. Um, uh, so yeah, that you were able to power through and it was fun to see you power through and, and not allow yourself to get bogged down by some of the stuff that could be confusing because if you really just follow it as a story, it's there, it's, it's all there.
0: Well, you know, I think the advantage I have is that I'm not a real deep thinker. So (laughs) for most, for most stories, it's like, it's a lot of surface level for me. It's, when I when I feel like I have discovered, you know, ooh, here's some deep inner meaning and I I learned that I'm probably the last one to realize that, you know, well, I'll give you Have you read the uh Tom King Supergirl no. uh Woman no, of no. Tomorrow? No, not yet. Well, I'm not going to give anything away, but there was a moment there that I was like, ah, oh, I see what they're doing here and it took me four or five issues to figure it out and he well, if you read about it, they tell you like it's supposed to be this. And okay. it took me like five issues before I said, this feels familiar. And then once I realized <laughs> what it was, I jumped on the internet. Oh, I've discovered something and found out that everybody else already knew. Hmm. So yeah. Um, so the next event, well, actually I want to say real quick, because I, I think I mentioned it in the last couple of episodes, but I do want to remind folks, yeah, I did get away from the video aspect because that's what has been causing the delays, uh, is just the idea of putting those videos together. Oh, it's, it's They're a lot beautiful.
1: of work. They're beautiful, and but it's a lot of work. Yeah.
0: I do it all on my freaking iPhone. That's all I have. And it's, yeah, it's a lot of work, but I'm keeping the YouTube side up because I, I may want to go back and finish the videos, you yeah. know, get it all completed. But yeah. Uh, so the next event we're going into is secret wars two. um, Give me a, just first thing that pops to your mind when, when you hear Secret Wars 2. A hot mess.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, that one, I'll be real interested to hear what you have to say under the topic of how does it read as a story versus do you need to read the tie-in? Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. I read the first issue recently, and there were a number of moments in there that I'm like, I just— where did this come from? This just, you know, there's a lot of stuff that happens that just seems to come out of the blue, but if you're reading the rest of the Marvel universe, it makes sense. Right. And uh along with that, there's some of the tie-in issues. I I I read an issue of Captain America a couple of years ago that, you know, they all have in the corner, the front front cover in the corner, Secret Wars 2 tie-in issue. And the only tie-in in the entire, I think it's the one, the issue where he's fighting the armadillo.
1: Armadillo, I have that
0: issue, and, yeah. Yeah, you get the the Beyonder show up as a, just a white humanoid figure who's hiding in the background. He watches, he observes him at the beginning and he observes him at the end and that's it. And that's the tie-in. There's, you know, it's, I think Jim, I, I think Jim Shooter saw what they were kind of trying to do with the crisis. And he tried to do that there and I, right. I don't't I don't think he really pulled it off right yeah but yeah I'm gonna I think I think that's going to be a real fun one to go cool. through. Good luck that's so fun. yeah <laughs> I don't I don't know at this point uh, if we're gonna start right away the following week um, as of the time we're recording this episode the episode for issue nine went up and we still have uh, 10 11 and 12. And then this, so I'm about four weeks ahead of the game, uh, but I haven't, I haven't quite read, I, when I read that issue of secret wars two, it was, uh, it was last year. So
1: okay,
0: I'm, I'm ready to, to kind of dive in and, you know, start taking my notes and see what I can pull out of it. But yeah, that's going to be, I think when the exercise of how much am I going to get out of this story without reading the tie-ins, I think this is the one that's going to test my,
1: my yes. sanity. Absolutely
0: this may be the one that may, that I might decide I, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to give up. I'm done. And I know that there's stuff coming up. You know, I think when I get into books like secret wars, the, the John Hickman one, I think that may be the one that pulls me out of doing this. Cause mm. you know, I like John Hickman, but he just can sometimes can his concepts just go over my head. Yeah. I'm a, I,
1: yeah I'm a fan of his work. Actually. I, yeah. I, I adore that kind of, yeah uh, you know that uh it's it's a little more y. uh yeah. it's a little uh it's even uh, i feel like he he also learned some things from like um uh not two thousand AD, but just just a different it's just a different way to look at comics you know so uh, i think yeah, i love that work
0: jonathan hickman the he, he just doesn't mess around no when when he if he's going to tell a story he uh you know from what i know from what i know about stuff like secret wars he was hinting to that years before yeah. and he, you know he what he started his fantastic Four run a number of years before that and he was already putting the pieces in place yeah. and i i find that amazing i just for a brain to work like that you know that's the kind of stuff i i do i love it i appreciate it but yeah sometimes uh if I don't understand what's going on right off the bat, it can sometimes throw me out. Yeah. But, uh, once I, once I can figure it out, yeah, then I'm all in, but you know, yeah. So that's, what's coming up next folks. Hopefully we'll get it going next week after this episode goes out, but, uh, stick around because secret wars two Should be a lot of fun. Yeah. Cool. Peter, I want to thank you for doing this. Thank um, you. you know, when I was, when I reached out to you, I just, The, the, the one question that was in my mind as I was reading, I think I was around issue nine or 10. And I just thought all I could think of was how people were reacting to infinite crisis at the time. And I wondered how were people reacting to this at the time? Because as a, as a general community, comic book readers don't like change. And this was, this was a big change. They, they, you know. Killing off Barry Allen, first of all, I mean, yeah. good lord. I wonder how many people stopped reading DC comics at that point
1: uh, and how many have since come back. But it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough, right? Like, right. Because right. clearly, even if that amount left, DC gained so many more. Yeah. 1986 yep. is such a brilliant year for DC. And
0: it's a, yeah, yeah. it's a big year. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, I had another thought, and it and it wasn't. Oh, so basically, what I'm getting though from from what I'm pulling out of this conversation is that, as far as you and your contemporaries, the people that you talked to back then, and maybe were hanging out with, and was reading this stuff, the the general feeling toward the crisis was pretty favorable.
1: The general feeling was was favorable, and also almost you almost couldn't uh, get a hold of it. Yeah, because it hadn't been done. So, yep, it almost was like, oh, I don't know what they're going to do. You know, right. every issue has some major moment. And at the end of issue four, Earth one and Earth two are gone. And you're like, what? Wait, you know, and it's pretty Internet. Yep. You don't you know, you could certainly assume that things are going to last or, or going to survive. But no, I think it's it's literally you are on it for the ride. And you could be as negative as you want about it, which I'm sure many people were, but you had to follow it because this was your, if you were a DC fan, this was it. This, yeah. you had to know what was coming next. And mm-hmm. uh there were some really great titles that came out of it. Yeah. Um, and some, and some not so great ones, but still it's it for those people who poo-pooed it and 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 I did. There were some people who were already complaining about oh, there's so many tie ins and blah blah blah. And you're like, how do you even know there's so many? We haven't yeah. ever had anything like this before, right. you know? Right. So, sure, there were many detractors, but um, I guarantee they're still reading DC to this day, probably.
0: Yeah, and really, as far as the tie ins, you know, as far as uh, part of the experiment that I'm trying here is again to read just the core series to see if uh you know what i get out of it uh, do you need to read the tie-ins and no this one you don't need to read the tie-ins Absolutely. you i again i've read this and i didn't know many of the characters in it and i just i had a lot of fun with it it's it's huge it's sprawling it's epic the uh the the time and the care and the you know, just everything that George Perez by himself just puts into it is just—it's yeah. amazing. It's just—I—I—I yeah. I, I couldn't imagine what it would have been like. I—I I, I have to imagine if I was a twelve-year-old kid reading this for the first time, if—if if that would have been one of my first books, I feel like my entire comics reading history would be much different nowadays. Oh, sure. I, I absolutely. I re—I would have been more of a DC guy growing up than Marvel, but yeah, since I since my brother wasn't getting it, then I I I wasn't getting it. So. Uh, <laughs> So yeah. All right. Um I don't I don't know that I have really anything else to ask. I'm sure that once we're done an hour from now I'll be sitting on the couch going, "Damn, I should have asked him this."
1: So uh it's a it's you know. a concept that is every everybody always, you know, it's like you got to cut your teeth on it, right? If you're yeah. a podcaster especially. Um uh it is it's the reason why people still talk about it. It's the reason why right. DC put out Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths. Because it's, it's that monumental that it just still resonates to this day. Are you reading Dark Crisis? I have not, not yet.
0: I have, I, I, uh, I got a couple issues in. I haven't really gone back. I need to, it, It's not the same. I don't want to say it wasn't doing anything for me, but, um, I think I need to, I, well, it might be complete now. I think it's done. So I should probably go back and read it. I think, I don't think that's something I could have read month by month. I just, yeah yeah again, really high concept stuff, you know, not just a multiverse but a multiple multiverse and some <laughs> that just just trying to wrap my head around that just yeah you know it 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 just if 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 my mind doesn't latch on to concepts then it then I'm just lost, and so sometimes I gotta wait till the whole thing's done yep. and then sit down and 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 read it all in one sitting and and that that helps me a little bit more but Month to month, if if I'm not grasping the concept, then I've I get to the next issue and I I don't remember what happened in the previous issue. Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm my event reading stalled out um, with, and not because it was bad, but uh, I just ne- haven't. I didn't finish Metal. I did read Heroes in Crisis, um, but in terms of what they were doing with the multiverse and all that, my knowledge stops around metal and I I don't un I I don't have it in my brain yet what's going on with like Dark Crisis and and Justice League and all that was going with Perpetua. I uh even it's gotten a little too unwieldy for me as well. So so. Yeah.
0: I I've tried to read metal twice now.
1: So I know I'll get back to it. I I love it. I actually I I really do because it was a whole it was a twist on instead of the multiverse it was like a the underneath which i can handle yeah. that that's yeah. cool but now when you give me multiverses of multiverses of multiverses like okay now i think yeah. i'm a, we're done with this well we need to yeah. move dc needs to find a new way to tell events and yeah this is and, it and
0: you know honestly when it comes to these 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 high concept things like that once i can just once i can figure out what the theme is what what really are they trying to say the the all the metaphysical aspect of it, the science and all that doesn't doesn't affect me anymore. It's like, right. all right, I know the story that they're trying to tell now. And now, right, and I, right. But if you know, speaking of metal, when Scott Snyder when he got onto Justice League, it was almost the same thing. There, I read the first issue, and there was just so many big things that he was throwing at you that I just I, I had to walk away. It was just too yeah. much. Yeah. So I think yeah. I I feel like books like that a justice league for example you already know that you're going to get big epic stories it's the justice league you know but i feel like they almost you need to start small if you're going to start with the just you know a justice league book ease into it you know (laughs) don't throw the don't throw the the giant universe concepts at the at the reader right away just let's get used to the characters a little bit first you know i don't i don't know that's just me but uh, again, yeah, thanks for coming on. I, sure. I, I appreciate it. Um, I didn't do this with Secret Marvel Superheroes Secret Wars because really, that is a surface book. You know, there's really not you don't you don't have to look deep in that one. It's a, I've, I said it before. It's like a popcorn movie. It's just a lot of big explosions and a lot of fun. Um, but this one is way deep, and uh, I felt like I had to I had to uh, round it out with a little discussion.
1: Yeah. All right. I was able to help you out with that.
0: Yeah. Thanks. Event or Else is a presentation of the Just Another Fanboy podcast. Questions and comments can be directed to eventorelse at gmail.com. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month over at the Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Stephen Orr. And in return, I'm going to do my very best to get you and your fellow patrons episodes just like this one before anybody else. I also encourage you to rate the show wherever available and share this podcast with a friend. All links will be in the show notes.
1: There's a <laughs> snort. <laughs>
2: uh, that may
0: go at the end of a song. It better.